Salute omnes, welcome to the AP Latin Podcast. The goal of this podcast will be to cover the lines from Caesar's De Bello Gallico and Virgil's Aeneid that are found on the AP Latin curriculum. Each two-part episode will cover a selection of lines from Caesar and Virgil. I will present the Latin and English of the text, providing relevant clarification, background, and cultural information that will help put the readings in their proper context. I encourage you to read along with me as you listen to the Latin and to use the English as a way to check your understanding rather than relying on the English for understanding. Each episode will conclude with some essential questions to consider as you process through the meaning of the text. Parati, eamos. AP Latin Podcast, Episode 3b, Aeneid Book 1, Lines 81 to 131. In this episode, you will meet our heroically heroic hero Aeneas, and you will learn that he's not all that heroic. Haec ubi dicta cavum conversa cuspide montem, impulit in latus, ac venti velut agmine facto, qua data porta ruunt, et terras turbine perflant. In cubuera mari totum qua sedibus imis, une rusque notusque ruunt, creberque procellis, africus, et vastos volvunt ad litora fluctus. In sequitur, clamorque virum, stridorque rudentum, e ripiunt subito nubes caelumque diemque, tu cror rex oculis ponto nox incubat atra. In tonuera po let crebris micat ignibus aeter, prae centemque viris intentant omnia mortem. Ex templine ae salvuntur frigora membra, Engemet et duplices tendens ad sidera palmas, talia, voce refert. O terque quaterque beati, quis antora patrum troiae submunibus altis, contigit o peter o danaum fortissima gentis taedide. Men iliacis o cumbara campis, non potuisse tuaquanimanque fundera dextra. Saevus ubai acidae tello jacet hectorubi engens, sarpidan, Ubi tot simois corrupta subundis, scuta virum galias quet fortia corpora volvit. Talia jactanti stridens aquilone procella, vel adversa ferret fluctus quad sidera tollet, fronguntur remi tum prora vertitetundis, dat latus, insequitur cumulo praeruptus aquae mons. I sumo in fluctu pendent, Is unde de hiscens ter inter fluctus aperit, furet aistus harenis. Tres notus abreptas in saxa latentia torquet. Saxa vocant itali mediis quin fluctibus aras, dor simane marisumo. Tres eorus abalto, in the brevi et certes urget, miserabile visu, in lidit que vadis at quagare kingit arenae. Unam, quae laicios fidumque vehebat aronten, ipsius antaculos ingens avertice pontus, in pupem ferret, excutitur pronusque magister volbitur in caput, ast ilam ter fluctus ibidem, torquet agens circet rapidus vorat aequora vertex. Apparent rari nantes ingurgite vasto, arma virum tabulae quet troia gaza per undas. Yam validilio nei nawem, yam fortis acatae, et, qua vectus abas, et, qua grandaevis aletes, vicit hiems. Laxis laterum campagibus omnes, a cipiunt inimicem brem remisqui fatiscunt. Interea, magno misceri murmura pontum, emissam quiemem sensit Neptunus et imis stagna refusa vadis, 
graviter commotus, et alto prospiciens summa placidum caput extulit unda. Disiectaineae toto videt aequora classem, fluctibus oppressos troas caelique ruina, nec latuera doli fratrem unonis et irae. Eurad se zephyrum quae vocat dehinctalia fatur. When these things were said, he struck the hollow mountain in the side with his reversed spear. And the winds, just as after a battle line has been drawn, where an opening was given, rush out and blow through the lands in a whirlwind. They lean on the sea, and from the deep seats, together the east wind Eurus and the south wind Notus and the southwest wind Africus, thick with blasts, overthrow the whole thing and roll vast waves to the shores. There follows the shouting of men and the creaking of rope. Suddenly clouds snatch both sky and day from the eyes of the Teucrians. Dark night leans on the sea. The poles thundered and the heavens flashed with thick fires. Everything points at death present for men. Immediately the limbs of Aeneas are loosened with a chill. He groans, and stretching double palms to the stars, he brings back such things with his voice. O three and four times blessed those who happen to perish before the faces of their fathers beneath the lofty walls of Troy. O Tydides, strongest of the people of the Danaeans, should I not have been able to meet my death on Ilian fields and by your right hand pour out this spirit? Where fierce Hector lies because of the weapon of Aeacides? Where huge Sarpedon lies? Where the Simois River rolls so many shields of men and helmets and brave bodies under its waves? To him, tossing out such things, a shrieking blast from Aquilo the north wind strikes the sail head-on and lifts waves to the stars. Oars are broken, then the prow turns away and gives its side to the waves. There follows a mountain of water, having burst forward in a heap. These men hang on the top of the wave. A gaping wave opens land between waves to these men. A boiling rages in the sand. Three ships notice the south wind, having snatched up, twists into hidden rocks. Rocks which the Italians call the altars in the middle of the waves, a huge ridge on the top of the sea. Three ships, Eurus, the east wind, drives from the deep into the shallows in Sirtes, miserable to see, and dashes them on the shoals and surrounds them with a mound of sand. One ship, which was carrying the Lycians and faithful Orantes, the huge sea from above before his very eyes strikes against the stern. The helmsman is thrown out prone and rolls onto his head, but the wave twists it three times in the same place, driving it around, and the rapid whirlpool swallows it into the sea. There appear rare men swimming in the vast whirlpool, weapons of men and planks and Trojan treasure through the waves. Now the strong ship of Ilioneus, now the one of brave Achates, and the one on which Abbas was carried, and the one on which great-aged Aletes the storm overcame, and with the joints of the sides loosened, all take on hostile water and gape with cracks. Meanwhile, Neptune sensed that the sea was being mixed with a great rumble, and that a storm was sent out, and that the still waters were poured back from the bottom of the shallows, greatly moved. And looking out over the deep, he raised his peaceful head from the top of a wave. He sees the fleet of Aeneas scattered on the whole sea, the Trojans oppressed by the waves, and the ruin of the sky. Nor did the tricks and anger of Juno hide from her brother. He calls Eurus the east wind and Zephyrus the west wind to himself, and from there speaks such things. This section is an action-packed and graphic depiction of a recurring epic motif, the storm. Pretty much every epic poem from Homer onward had a storm scene. 
There was an allusion to one such epic storm in the previous episode, where Minerva had blasted Ajax Oileus and his fleet with borrowed lightning. And Odysseus, Menelaus, Agamemnon, and Diomedes all encountered storms, just to name a few. Where Caesar thus far has been reserved in his descriptions, Virgil, working within epic convention, crafts a vivid, if somewhat hyperbolic, depiction of the power of nature and the danger of the sea. Most of this storm description can stand on its own, but I encourage you to try using your senses to appreciate Virgil's construction of the lines. Listen to how sounds are used, look at how word order can mimic what is happening in the narrative, let imagery play out like a movie in your mind. If you were filming this scene, how would you shoot it? Here are a few things to be aware of. The winds are personified forces of nature in this scene, and in my English reading I use both their names and the wind that they stand for. Virgil makes use of the patronymic epithet twice in this section. First, with Tydides, the son of Tydeus. This is Diomedes, a Greek hero in the Trojan War, considered second only to Achilles in skill. Diomedes and Aeneas fought at Troy with Aeneas being soundly defeated and barely escaping alive because his mother Venus rescued him. And second, Aeacides is Achilles. The Simois River is one of the two rivers along with the Xanthus that flowed near Troy. Certes, depending on whether you treat the word as a common or a proper noun, can be a term for a generic sandbar or reef, or it can refer to a specific region of the sea near the coast of North Africa, full of shallow waters and sandbars and dangerous for ships. If you choose to read it as a proper noun, then this is probably an example of Hendiades, the shallows and certes becomes the shallows of certes. Finally, you may notice that the storm description lists the names of multiple people. Virgil is following another epic convention here, that of catalogs, lists, or roll calls. This especially occurs within action or battle scenes. But there is another such roll call in Book 6, where Aeneas is shown the future Roman heroes that will arise from his lineage. You don't need to know many details about the people listed in these lines, just that they are Trojan heroes that Aeneas is watching the storm destroy. In these lines, we also officially meet Aeneas for the first time. Up to this point, we have been told about him, but we have not even been given his name. Here is where he officially appears in the narrative, and his appearance is not terribly heroic. When we first meet him, he is standing in his ship watching the storm, raising his palms to the heavens as a suppliant to the gods and wishing he were dead. We first meet Aeneas at rock bottom, and although he has moments where he acts bravely and like a good leader, it takes him a long time to become a heroic figure within the poem. We will revisit this theme in the future, but this is part of redefining the concept of hero for a non-Homeric age. While this is not overtly stated anywhere within the Aeneid, Virgil has to rework Aeneas into a hero that fits a Roman model of Pietas, so that he is responsible for others and his larger destiny rather than his own desires or glory. In Book 2, Aeneas is very much a Homeric hero, meaning that he is focused primarily on glory and honor for himself. Achilles and Odysseus are both heroes in this mold, but where Odysseus is able to leave Troy with a lot of people under his command, only he makes it back to Ithaca. He is able to be a terrible leader and make bad decisions, he can get everyone under his command killed or left behind, but he can still be a hero because he's working in a Homeric mold and his personal glory is all that matters. But Aeneas has to become something else, because he has a larger destiny to fulfill which involves him actually keeping the people under his protection alive long enough to found a new city. His Homeric heroism needs to be unmade and he needs to be remade into a proto-Roman hero. 
The first half of the Aeneid will deal with this as an ongoing theme in the background of the narrative. This section ends with Neptune realizing something is up and getting ready to rebuke the winds, which we will cover next episode. As we close out the episode, here are some essential questions to consider. In these lines, Aeneas is introduced as a character in the poem. What first impressions of his character do these lines create? Does his speech contribute to a positive or negative first impression of our hero? How do the structure, literary devices, and imagery of the lines contribute to the violence of the description of the storm? Aeneas, in his speech, mentions that he wishes he had met the same fate as Hector and Sarpedon. The deaths of these heroes are depicted in the Iliad. Were their fates, in fact, enviable? At the end of this section, Neptune first appears in the poem. What first impression of the god is Virgil seeking to achieve through his actions? How does the epic genre and Virgil's writing style compare to that of Caesar and his commentary? Gratias ago pro ascoltando, valete.